0: All right, I don't know if Bree mentioned this, we just got done with VBS. We had 85 kids on campus this week, and we're all exhausted. So, uh, especially Megan and Sila and Bree stepped up. They did so much this week. Um, I know Megan's out this week. She's like on her deathbed, I think. So, um, but next week we will honor them, and uh, just a great, great time for children's ministry and, and things that are going on here. Tomorrow, our beach camp is leaving, so middle school and high school students are going out to Pepperdine University. Um, So if you want to keep our leaders in your prayers, um, Tyler, Jacob, uh, going out there, I think there's a group of about 40 people to just rough it on the beach for a week. Uh, But it is always such a formational time for our students, and so they leave tomorrow morning. Please keep them in your prayers this week. We're excited for them, excited about that. Uh, It's summertime and it's Father's Day. And I love this time of year because things do slow down. People leave town. I like the heat. I like the swim. Um, This is a a great time to be here, even when a lot of people aren't here. Um, I'm I'm a Phoenician at heart. I grew up here, so I am a desert rat, and I love it. Um, As we continue to move through the summer um, this year, uh, we have just a number of different events to to connect with. And if you're in town, I would love for you to, to participate. If you're If you're out of town, you can follow online. Um, We're going through a, a book of Acts for the summer, and we're on part eight today. And so if you want to open up to Acts chapter four, we'll get started there. Aristotle said, courage is the first of human qualities because it is the quality which guarantees all others. Nelson Mandela said, courage is not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. Winston Churchill, courage is what it takes to stand up and speak. Courage is also what it takes to sit down and listen. G.K. Chesterton, one of my favorite theologians, courage is almost a contradiction in terms. It means a strong desire to live Taking the form of readiness to die. Catherine the Great says, I beg you, take courage. The brave soul can mend even disaster. Courage is being scared to death and saddling up anyway. That's John Wayne. And then J.R. Tolkien says, courage is found in unlikely places. And today's message is on courage, on Peter's courage to be specific and it is father's day and so it's kind of a father's day message but really it's a message for all of us to take courage and we've been following along the book of acts we're in this story where peter heals a man who is crippled and he's been crippled since birth and he heals him at the temple gates this gate called beautiful and as he heals this man everyone realizes this miraculous thing happens it's this great commotion all these people are gathered and in that moment, Peter takes the opportunity to give credit and glory to God for what has happened. And so he deflects attention away from himself, and he puts it up on God, and he says, Jesus, the resurrected Christ, is, is why this has happened. We're seeing this glimpse of the power of, of God here on earth. And as he's using that moment to, to uh, explain what Jesus is up to, this story takes place. In Acts chapter 4, We'll start in verse 1. It says, And as they were speaking, Peter and John, to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them, and they put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men About 5,000 were there. All right, so as as Peter's giving the sermon at the temple gates, he has this huge crowd gathered, and he's explaining how he did the healing, that it was because of Jesus and who Jesus is, this resurrected Christ, and he's preaching this gospel message. As he's giving that sermon, the Sadducees break in, and they interrupt the whole thing, and they arrest Peter. This would have been like a huge scene. Um, they hear what he's saying and they come after him and they they interrupt interrupt on the next day verse five their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in jerusalem with annas the high priest and caiaphas and john and alexander and all who were in the high priestly family and when they set them in the midst they inquired by what power or by what name do you do this so they, they arrest Peter and John, and we find out who these characters are. They're people that we've heard their name before. Uh, the high priest, the Sadducees, uh, Caiaphas, the high priest. We've heard that name, and if you remember going through the Gospels, especially towards the end of Jesus' life when he's in Jerusalem, these are the people who, who put Jesus on trial, who want Jesus crucified, who actually crucify him. Like this is the same crowd, and now Peter is standing before them, these Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees are this party that had existed since, like, the second century before Christ. Um, They're in Jerusalem. They have uh, taken power around the temple. They're the high priest. There's this, like, religious position, but also this political position that they hold. And uh, they get their names from this priest, Zadok, from the Old Testament, from the time of David. They think they're descendants all the way from him. And so as they've gained control here, they're also in cahoots with the Herodians, which is the political power of this area, and the Romans, who they've been conquered by Rome. And so they've realized, like, we can hold on to this place of power um, with, with this relationship that we have triangulated with the Herodians and the Romans. And so they're kind of, like, running the show. These are the Sadducees. They're an elite religious ruling class, and... Um, they, there were things that they believed that were different than the Pharisees. That's another party. We've heard of like the Pharisees. That's who usually gets a bad reputation that Jesus is sparring with throughout the Gospels. And the Pharisees uh, weren't quite as elite as the Sadducees. They were more, more of the, the normal people, but they were highly educated. The Pharisees thought, like if, we could, just, if we, we could just cleanse our country, if we could just get the right rules in place and get the right people in place, and so actually the Pharisees and the Sadducees would butt heads all the time. And the Sadducees had this, this high like place in, in, in leadership where the Pharisees didn't. Um, the Pharisees, though, had influence with all the people. And so you had these like dynamics of these groups, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, there's the Essenes, there's all these other groups that are kind of roaming around. And, uh, and the Sadducees were different than the Pharisees because they thought that you can't You can't take scripture literally unless it's the written word. Where the Pharisees are passing it down orally, this oral tradition. And the Pharisees would talk about the prophets, and uh, they would talk about the poetry. And the Sadducees would talk about the Torah. And so, with that, the the Sadducees didn't believe in like a bodily resurrection. Um, They didn't believe in like spirits, and they didn't believe in angels a really, uh, a, a very much a dad joke for Father's Day is because they didn't believe in angels, that's why they're sad, you see. <laughs> I feel like that joke needs to be retired, but it's Father's Day, it's a dad joke. Okay, uh, Where the Pharisees did, the Pharisees believed in all of that. And, and so usually these groups would butt heads, um, but it's interesting because they come together when, it, when they have to deal with Jesus. They usually butt heads, and then there's this Jesus with these disciples who's preaching this other, uh, this story about this kingdom of God, about what God is doing in this world, and he doesn't enter into their tension. He's coming up with something completely different. And this message that Jesus has about this kingdom of God that he is a part of starts to gain so much momentum. They realize their position is threatened. And it's interesting, there's a story in John chapter 11 where these Pharisees and these Sadducees come together. And Jesus is preaching this message about this kingdom, and he's doing these demonstrations like the healings, and he gets to this point where he raises this man from the dead, this guy named Lazarus. And it gets the attention of everyone. And the Sadducees and the Pharisees come together, and they tell us in John chapter 11, it says, the chief priests and the Pharisees call the meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here's a man performing many signs, and if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. So they, they plot against Jesus. They come together, and they're like, this movement has to go away. And we know as this story continues, like Jesus, Jesus goes to his death on the cross. He's crucified. We know that he conquers death. He rises again. We know that he meets with the disciples, and then he ascends to heaven. But this is the group that went after him. So we have months later, and here we are, uh, Peter, after the ascension, he's, he's doing the things of Jesus, and he's, he's doing things that are good, and he gets in trouble for it. He's back like at the, 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 the scene of the crime where all this goes down. He heals this man, and then he says, I healed him in the power of this resurrected Jesus. And it gets the Sadducees' attention. He does something good and he gets in trouble. Peter and John are in trouble for doing a good thing. Um, my wife and I have been watching Ted Lasso. We watched it, uh, it's been about a year now since we binge watched that show. And uh, kind of a guilty pleasure. But Ted Lasso has this line, I love He says, Doing the right thing is never the wrong thing. It's like, if you know Ted Lasso, that, it's so simple that it's so profound. Doing the right thing is never the wrong thing. And that Peter and John have done the right thing. They have seen this man who's crippled. They have sought to bring healing and restoration to him, and that's happened. And then they're telling everyone, this is, this is how it happened. Jesus did this. And it puts them not only in trouble in this moment, but they're in danger because the guys that killed Jesus arrest them. And they, they come to them, uh, and there's this meeting, and they have this question for Peter. In whose name and by whose power did you do this healing? And if you imagine Peter knowing everything about these guys, how dangerous they are, what they've done to Jesus, there's this moment water ends up sinking. This is the man who denies Christ to save his own skin. And yet in this moment, instead of a failure of nerve, we have a a courageous response. The stakes are so high here. And this is Peter's response to this group. It says in verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified... Whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man standing before you is well, is healed. Can you imagine the courage it would take for Peter to say this. Not only does he, he like flips the story, he puts them on trial. Wait, he's like, we're, we've just done something good and you're coming after us. You wanna know by whose name and whose power we've done this? Jesus of Nazareth, that guy, remember months ago, that you on the cross can you imagine just the the tension in that moment for the Sadducees to hear that for Peter to flip this on them there's this courageous clarity in Peter's message here he knows he's in danger but we don't see the Peter that sinks we don't see the Peter that denies Christ we see the Peter that courageously says God's doing this thing this resurrected Christ is at work Then he goes on to say this. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you. The builders, by you the builders, and has become the cornerstone or the capstone. It's kind of an interesting language he's using there. And then he says, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given by which men can be saved, by which we must be saved. This courageous clarity Peter makes two statements. In this moment, this is an incredibly dangerous moment for Peter. He's not only explaining what what has just happened here, but now he's making this declaration about who Jesus is. And for the early church, this moment is so pivotal. This moment, uh, it, it brings incredible clarity about who Jesus is. This is also a moment that I think that the courage of Peter just becomes contagious for the early church. And here's what Peter says about Jesus. He makes two statements. The first is that that he's the rejected stone. He says the the, the stone that has been rejected. Um, And then he quotes Psalm 118. And Psalm 118 says, The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it's marvelous in our eyes. And so, like, Jesus is this cornerstone, this capstone. Like, what's going on with that language? Well, in Judaism, there's a, there's a frequent wordplay at work all throughout the Old Testament about the idea of a stone and a sun. And, and the words in Hebrew for stone and sun, it's, it's almost like this pun that's used. The, the, the Hebrew word for stone is chaben. I, I totally mispronounce that because I don't speak Hebrew, but chaben is stone, and then ben is sun. So chaben and ben, stone and sun. And throughout the Old Testament, there was this idea that this, this this cornerstone uh, was the people of Israel. And, and there was this whole system that was set up as a chosen people to, to show what God was like to the rest of the earth. And it was a corner, it was a stone that had been rejected, but now it has become kind of the cornerstone of the foundation of all of this. Jesus picks up this language in talking about Himself, this idea of the cornerstone. And he tells this parable that many of you know in Mark chapter 12. It's the parable of the vineyard and the rejected son. He tells, Jesus tells a story about, and, he, and he's speaking to the chief priest in this story, and it's this message of there was this master who owned a vineyard, and he, he built up this, this wall around the vineyard and had a tower and had set it up for success, and then he rented it out to someone, and these people that he rented it out to, um, he entrusted to be good stewards of this vineyard, and He left. And every now and then he would send a messenger to check up on what the people are doing with the vineyard that he had created. And in this parable he would send messengers. Uh, his servants would go and the first servant shows up and the people that are renting the vineyard kick him out and send him on his way. He thinks that's strange, sends another servant, the servant shows up, wants to know what's going on and they, they beat the servant, kick him out, throw him away. He sends a third servant. As Jesus tells this story, the third servant shows up, and the people renting this vineyard put the guy to death. And then it gets the master's attention. And he says, I'm going to send my son to see what's going on. The master's son shows up at this vineyard, and the people that are renting the vineyard take the son, beat him, put him to death. And Jesus is telling this story, and then Jesus quotes this very psalm, Psalm in 18. The stone, the sun, the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And as Jesus is telling that story, as Jesus is telling that story, the the Sadducees and the religious leaders realize that he's talking about them, that they have rejected the one that God has sent. And it tells us that these Sadducees and these Pharisees in that moment decide to gang up, and they're going to arrest Jesus because he's speaking against them. So this is the analogy Jesus is, or that Peter is using. When Peter meets in front of these guys for this court case, he brings up this old story that Jesus told them. I mean, can you imagine the courage it would take to do that? And if you're the Sadducees, you're starting to connect the dots of what, this, what, what Peter's saying. And like what Peter is saying here is that this, the, the, this religious system that they all benefit from, has become defunct. There's this new system in place through Jesus. He is the way to God. He is the way to communion with God. He is the one that brings about salvation. And it's no longer about doing all this stuff to try to make God happy, to go through these different rituals. And and it's like Jesus is now the answer for this defunct religious system is what Peter is saying here. F.F. Bruce commentating on this passage says this, In the original Old Testament, context, the rejected stone, is perhaps Israel, despised by the nations but chosen by God for the accomplishment of his purpose. But as so often in the New Testament, God's purpose for Israel finds fulfillment in the single-handed work of Christ. Peter's saying, this is now all about Jesus. Incredible clarity, courageous clarity of what God's up to in this world. The rejected stone has become the cornerstone. Then he uses another phrase. He says, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men which we must be saved. We hear that, and it's a theological statement. But more than that, this is like Roman political jargon that he has taken. And like in, in Rome, like if you follow like the history of the world at this time, this place is conquered by Rome. The Roman Empire controls the Mediterranean world. There was this civil war that took place between Julius Caesar when he was murdered and his son. Elizabeth Taylor got involved somehow with Cleopatra. I, but like this, there's this whole civil war and tons of people die. And then Augustus rises kind of from all of that, consolidates power, and brings about the, the Pax Romana, brings about the peace of Rome. In this Mediterranean world that had been torn by civil war becomes this place of, of what the Romans said, we have brought peace now to the world. And this, this leader, Augustus, was so powerful that people started to attribute divine qualities to Caesar Augustus. And we find, like, even in their coins, like, we would have coins that say, like, in God we trust. Like, that makes a statement. For them, they would have coins that would talk about how Caesar is divine. It would say that salvation is found nowhere else than with Caesar. That Caesar is the one that has brought peace. And Caesar is the one that is in control. Like, this would have been political jargon. And so when Peter takes this, he says, You Sadducees who are part of this religious system and are in cahoots with this political system, he says, He takes that language, he says, No, no, no. Like, Rome's not going to save you. They're not going to be the ones that bring work. We, we know the, how exhausting, exhausting systems made by man are. And Peter's saying, no, this is where hope is found. Not in these systems that we have put in place. Hope is found in Jesus, this grace of God who has broken through into this world, who is sovereign, who is putting things back together. We have seen a glimpse of that with this healing of this man who was crippled. And this is where real salvation is found. Our hope is in Jesus. Peter takes hope and says, this is where we, we place it, in Jesus. Jesus is the answer to the defunct religious system, but Jesus is also this answer to this political, dysfunctional political system that is controlling that world with Rome, with the Herodians, that just exhausts everybody. Peter makes a statement, and it is an incredibly courageous statement. I think someone's snoring, and that's okay. I put people to sleep, so that's fine. Um, So this this is the moment of intensity, if you can imagine what's going on. And then here's how the story continues. It says, now they saw the boldness of Peter and John. Like, you understand how bold that statement is that Peter makes. And they perceived that they were uneducated common men, and they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I love that line. They recognized that this is someone who had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside him, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that notable sign that has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may not spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak and teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered, Whether it is right inside of God to listen to you rather than God, you must be the judge. For we cannot speak of what we have we we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them, because of the people, for all they were praising God for what happened, and for the man on whom this sign was Of healing was performed was more than 40 years old because that's really old you know no one comes back from that um so like the the sadducees are saying like we can't disprove what happened like they're not arguing that the miracle didn't happen because there's evidence of it there's a guy who has been healed and they don't try to disprove resurrection like this would have been the moment for them to stop the church like they could have done away with Peter and John in this moment. They don't have an argument. It's like they can't go find the body of Jesus. They don't sit there and argue that it was some sort of plot against them. They don't have an. There's evidence that this man has been raised from being crippled, and so their thought is, we're just going to tell them not to talk anymore. We'll threaten them to stop, stop telling this message of Jesus and what Jesus has done, and then Peter and John say. It's not going to stop us. Because we fear, uh, we don't fear what man thinks. For us, we fear God more than we fear man. There's more of a respect for this calling that God has placed on our life, and it has transformed us. And we won't stop doing that. That will just keep flowing out of us, this courageous clarity from Peter. When you think about Peter's life, and you think about what Peter has gone through, and all the things that Peter has done that has failed, that has failed, cowardly acts doubt, all of this when Jesus rises from the dead there's this meeting between Peter and Jesus. It's on the beach they're having breakfast and Peter gets reinstated by Jesus and what we find is that this Peter who has encountered the resurrected Christ has been transformed and now he's given his life to something else there's a, a source for Peter's courage Two sources that we see in this story. Courage comes because Peter has looked away from himself. There's this unique form of humility. Like when he denies Christ, he's worried about himself, being safe, preservation. And in this moment, there's this unique humility. Like we see that because he gives glory to God. He's like, I'm not the reason this miracle happened, it's what God has done. And he stops thinking about himself. Because courage isn't just the elimination of fear or not feeling fear. Like fear is a good thing in our life. It keeps us grounded in reality, right? But fear is, courage is overcoming fear. And for Peter, he stops looking towards himself and his own preservation. And he says, I am, I am doing this thing that God has called me to do. And then he looks towards something else. Not only is there a sense of humility that we're, we're called to, to, to take up our own cross, we're called to sacrifice for this kingdom that we belong to, but then he looks towards something, and it's this unique form of hope. His hope is placed in something else. It's placed in the resurrected Christ. So whatever they do to Peter, he knows. You can kill me. I'll rise from the dead. We're resurrection people. And what we see is there's this empowerment by the Holy Spirit for Peter as he, as he looks towards something else. God's Holy Spirit meets us. It encourages us. It makes us, uh, it, it, it empowers us as a people. Um, there's this evidence of the healed man. Like we see God at work in, in all sorts of ways. I think this church is evidence that God is at work that strengthens our courage. When we demonstrate what What the body of Christ does in this community. And then there's the experience of being with Jesus for Peter. Untrained, uneducated, and yet he had been with Jesus. This is about abiding in Christ. What we find is his hope comes because he has looked towards something else. I think that means it's time to go. And I love it that this is cool enough and quiet enough that you could take a nap in here. (laughs) Um, But here's my hope for us today, church, on this Father's Day. That we would live a life with courageous clarity about the grace and salvation that comes from Jesus. That we would live with resurrection people, as resurrection people, with a power that God calls us to do things. And so as we leave, we're going to close with a song and if you want to hang out, feel free to, there's couches in the back, <laughs> you can go nap if you want. <laughs> uh, we'll close with a song, and we've got more sandwiches out on the patio. But let me pr- pray this prayer of blessing on you. Lord, we thank you so much for your word, and uh, Lord, we thank you for this, this, uh, this community, this family of people. Um, we all come from such different backgrounds, different walks, and yet we, you bring us here because of who you are. And it's, uh, it's so great to see these stories of the early church and how, uh, how the church moves forward with this message of gospel and kingdom with incredible courage And we see how that courage becomes contagious. And Lord, I would ask that even to this day, that contagious courage would be something that empowers us as a people. That we're a part of your kingdom. That salvation is found in you. That you have made a way. You have met us. We see what Jesus goes through with the cross and how he conquers death and the resurrection. Lord, we see the early church who lived with the urgency of that reality because they had experienced you. Today, Lord, I ask your blessing on this community, that you would empower us with courage, that you would meet us in this place today. We love you. It's in your name we pray.